Hello everyone and welcome to the 13th episode of the Melbourne Adverse User Group podcast. Is that lucky 13 or is it unlucky for some? This is lucky 13, of course. <laughs> There's only such a thing as lucky 13. Mm-hmm. Excellent. As you may have deduced from the interruption, <laughs> once again this month I am joined by Guy Morton. Hello, how are you going? As well as Jean-Manuel Becker. Hello, Arjen. Hello, everyone. Thank you for coming back to the podcast. And as it's three of us together, that means we are once again discussing what's new. This time, what was new in March 2021, which coincidentally was the month just past. Funny, that. So, last month, we had a bit of a boring month. So, the February one, I feel like there's a bit more this time that is interesting to discuss, but... As always, shall we just get started with finally in Sydney? I think we should. Yes, Sydney, a lot of new stuff for us. That's good. Yep, let's get the big one out of the way, which is Guy's favoritely named surface. <laughs> Absolutely. That's right. I, I always have to give uh, AWS credit when they get it right on the, on the naming because they get it wrong so often. But um, the snow cones are adorable name for an adorable product. So I'll give you the specs. So you know what snow cone is? It's the smallest of the snow family of um, portable uh, compute devices with storage. Um, you can go from a snow cone right up to a snowmobile, which is petabytes of storage in a in a container truck. Um, but the snow cone has two CPUs, four gigs of memory, eight terabytes of usable storage, and wired networking. Um, and you can also run compute on it. So you can run lambdas and such on it. Um, and IoT Greengrass. So you can use it for IoT applications. So you can use it as a sort of a, a collector for sensor data, you know, you know, a sort of detached um, model, I guess, uh, because it'll run on a battery as well. So you can basically put one of these things uh, in a remote location running on a battery, doing data collection, uh, and then use the IoT, I, um, AWS IoT products to, to push it back into the cloud, you know, when you bring it back to base, that sort of thing. So it's got a lot of different use cases. So, yeah, it's a, it's nice that we now have access to them in Sydney. Yeah, it's just 20, 20, 23 centimeters uh, long, 16 by 8, and just 2 kilos. So I heard some people even thinking about putting them into drones uh, to be able to capture stuff uh, maybe for electricity companies or um, uh, infrastructure supply uh, because just two kilos can be carried by a drone. That's pretty cool. And that includes data sync uh, pre-installed on the device for you to be able to upload to S3, EFS, and FSX servers. Cool. That is cool. I think we're all agreed it's cool. Um, did you order one yet? Uh, no, no. Well, I know you're a fan of IoT. I am a fan of IoT. No, my, my budget extends to the uh, IoT Edgy Kit, which I still haven't done anything with, um, which is even smaller than a snow cone. But, um, yeah, so, no, it, it doesn't extend to the. I actually don't know what the price of this is. Do, do you know, JM? Oh, no, I didn't check. I, I, mean, I imagine if it's following the standard snow model, it'll be a, a rental. It's It's probably something you can... Rent for a long period, but essentially you you're paying a monthly fee to have it. Uh, usually, yeah, it's a fixed cost, and then uh, if you want to keep it a bit longer, you you pay a bit more. Um, so there's a one time setup fee, yes, which is uh, sixty dollars, and uh, per day fee of uh, the first five days are included. So if you return it quickly, um, you don't pay. But uh, the the 
every consequent day is six dollars per day us oh it's not too bad is it really and uh, no it's pretty good and uh data transfer into s3 is free obviously yep, yep. so if you had if you had eight eight terabytes of, of data that you wanted to move into the cloud and had a lazy 60 bucks you could probably use one of these to do that yeah you do it in five days and that's just mm. 60 bucks that's what it cost yep. you but yeah that's pretty cool and especially in australia with the state of our nvn you probably need to do that right it'd take you <laughs> take you longer than five days to move that much data up into AWS uh, via the NBN. Oh, and if you wanted to lost it because you like it so much, it would cost you two thousand dollars of device. Ah, lost really? Okay. Yes. Oh, lo- lost. <laughs> that's that's how you buy one. You lose what you get one and lose it. <laughs> <laughs> or if your drone drops it. Oh, if it is yeah, if it is irreparably damaged uh, while in your possession, then uh, you will need to pay for the lost fee. Yeah. Fair enough. Neat. Moving on to the next one. This one is a service that actually we already have, but now it expanded. So that client VPN, you can now run it in more availability zones. So yeah, I mean, not a big deal, but I think some customers were complaining that if the VPN is the last kind of uh, break glass situation, if the AZ goes down and that particular AZ, the VPN is down, they won't be able to connect to AWS. So now having multiple AZ for that client VPN to access the VPC, it makes sense. Uh, more in the disaster recovery mode than, than anything else. Yeah. Then EMR on EKS is now available as well. Which basically just, um, we discussed it when it came out. I think it was around reInvent, uh, which allows EMR to run on EKS, as it says in the explanation. So you can have multiple versions of EMR running on the same cluster. The idea is that this will save money. Well, uh, there is some advantage as well. Uh, remind everyone, EMR is a single AZ product. And, you know, if that fails, that fails. So having maybe running on EKS, you could maybe redistribute the nodes if one AZ was failing. So I'm not sure about that complexity. but um, uh, And then you can run them on, on demand as well. And we will see later there is some other announcement as well with uh, to be able to orchestrate all of that. But um, First, you need to have an EKS cluster. You need to register with the EMR service, and then the EMR service will use your cluster to be able to deploy it pod for the parameters. So, um, interesting product. Uh, you can use EKS on your node or Fargate as well. So that's kind of a serverless EMR. That is actually pretty cool. Yeah, I didn't even realize that part. Cool. Um, talking about so, uh, probably not in high demand. Uh, D three instances are. Now available in Sydney, these are obviously the newer versions. D types, which are all about HTD storage. So if you need local cheap storage, then these are the instances for you. If you need a lot of it as well. Yeah, uh, and uh, they range, uh, you know, from four CPU, 32 gig memory to a uh, very big one. So like 30, 36 uh, CPUs, uh, uh, sorry, 32 CPU, 256 gig memory, uh, 24 two terabyte hard drive. So that's a lot of storage. I did some comparison of pricing between the D2 X-Large and D3 X-Large. You get more CPU, more memory, more bandwidth, same disk, and it's 28% cheaper. Uh, so the D2 X-Large is 87 cents an hour, and the D3 X-Large, 62 cents an hour. So, you know, better upgrade, uh, better machine, faster machine, cheap price. That's what we like. Yep. And the last one, from Sydney, sort of Sydney, 
that most of Australia is another new Australian hero, which is Zainab Maleki, who's a new community hero based in Perth, and she has done some good things like running Goto Dojo for girls and other things. Yeah, looking forward to uh, meet her. That's pretty cool. Round of applause. Yeah. Serverless then. Yeah, serverless is where all the f- juicy stuff is, isn't it? Really, this this month, some good stuff. Oh, some good stuff. The favorite. Yeah. There, there is one very juicy thing in there, at least. Which is the juiciest in your mind? <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, it's not the stuff functions. <laughs> Yeah, sorry. Oh, Steph, Steph Function's got some good updates. Let's, we'll talk about them in a minute. That's okay. Yeah. But let's first focus on S3 Object Lambda. What this allows you to do is basically run Lambda functions on S3 calls. Yep. I would almost see the bit as Lambda, Lambda at Edge, where you call an endpoint and an S3 or oh, a Lambda function runs, but instead just directly on your S3 buckets. Have any of you played around with this yet? No, but I think there's a lot of there's gonna be a lot of use cases. I think they'll they'll emerge as as um, people get to sort of understanding this features there. I think there's be a lot of a lot of things that people are currently doing uh, in their environments that they'll they'll look at this and go, hey I could take away all that stuff and just use one of these instead. Um, so I think it's it's a it's a really cool feature. Um, I think because it's going to unlock a lot of capability and, and encourage people to think differently about how they design. Yeah, basically, I mean, you could do it before. Yeah, that's right. With an API getaway and yeah. the function and an S3 bucket, you could do exactly the same thing, right? But it was complex, a lot of moving parts. Now uh, you use the uh, S3 access point when you attach your Lambda and then you point to your S3 bucket and you're done. Um, so you can do all the manipulation uh, on your data. That's going to be huge in data lakes, I think, uh, you know, removing PI information. And obviously you can use Lambda, you can use SAML and all of that to, to uh, manage the access point and who can access which one. You can compress data, you can decompress data, you can watermark, watermarking images, sorry, to make sure that, um, you know, um, they get um, copyright on it. I mean, there is so many applications, um, and that's so simple. Yeah. Uh, sorry to be biased, but I'm excited about that product because it's another show how far ahead AWS is from the other cloud, uh, where they're still doing the normal bucket, where here we have like a full serverless kind of integration uh, with the storage behind. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a really nice innovation, and um, and I think it's it's gonna over the next few months we'll we'll see um, blog posts, I'm sure, from AWS and others, um, you know, creating uh, some use, interesting use cases for it, illustrating how how it could be used in ways that people hadn't necessarily thought of. Yeah, and it's available in all AWS region except uh, Osaka, uh, Gov Cloud, and Chuck. Right. So that's in Sydney. Cool. AWS Lambda Trusted Advisor checks is, is cool. Um, you have high error rates. Um, it can detect that for you. Excessive timeout to compare the previous seven days and um, deprecated runtime as well. And uh, if you use the VPC enabled function in a single easy, which is not best practice, so it will warn you as well. So it's a couple of help there when you look at Trusted Advisor yeah. uh, to make uh, Lambda a bit uh, more resilient and safer. I did notice the uh, new console. Um, which came, uh, just 
when I happened to open it the other day, I thought, oh, everything's moved. <laughs> <laughs> and you have tabs now? Yeah. Yeah, now I've got tabs and a side menu for a bunch of different things. So, yeah, it's quite, it's quite different. But um, is it better? Hmm. Uh, look, maybe, probably. I think it probably makes a bit more sense. But with anything new, it's a matter of getting used to it, isn't it? Mm. The things, the things where they used to be, they're not there anymore. They're over there instead. So you know, it's okay. Yep. Step function support for YAML. That was the last product who didn't support YAML, right? And that was a pain. You had to do JSON. Now you can do YAML all the way. I'm so happy. I'm so happy about this. Yes, because so everything. You know, does the state machine language itself was, yeah, it's the last holdout that you could only write them in JSON. So now you'll be able to write them in YAML. And I'm a very happy person because I've written a number of state machines and, they, and writing them in JSON just sucks. And um, yeah, so even with uh, Visual Studio Code's tooling for, for step functions, which makes it about as nice as it can possibly be, um, it's still going to be much nicer to just be able to do it in YAML. So yeah, there's an update of the toolkit for Visual Studio Code, and now you can write in YAML. Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah. Regardless of what uh, listener Chris <laughs> will say, Chris can't seriously be a fan of Curly's, can he? Is he seriously Jason? Yes, Jason yes, fan? Yes, he is. He really? is. Oh yes. Mm. Oh yes. Oh, I, don't, I just yeah, I don't get that. We try not to hold against him too much. Why are you going to be excited about Corrector 16 as well? <laughs> Um, so a step function, we were talking about it before with EMR on EKS. So now you can orchestrate your uh, EMR on EKS with step functions. So three steps, uh, create virtual cluster, delete virtual cluster, and start job run. So that's, that's awesome for people who want to run EMR cluster as a transition type of cluster, do some job, then terminate everything. That's, uh, that's a good uh, orchestration tool. Definitely. Yeah. Um, then the last one in this category is event support for API destinations. Mm. So this is basically that you can send uh, events to any HTTP API. Do not tied to only the existing integrations you were before. Got some freedom in what you want to do with them. So this can obviously go to external parties, but it can also go to your own personal, personal company systems. Yeah, it is a snake. Yeah. So really, EventBridge is becoming the hub of everything now. Um, they increase the rate. They have X-Ray, I think, coming up on this. Um, now you can talk to any of the software through API. Yeah. That, that's a nice product. Very central. Yeah, really. Orchestration piece. Obviously, CloudWatch events was merged into it long ago. So it's really for anything trigger-based. You go to event bridge. Yep. Event driven for the win, right? Yep. Okay. Shall we have a look at containers then? If we must. Yes. We must. <laughs> yes. Yes, we, yes must. we must. We must. We must. I'm just here for the Red Hat OpenShift. Oh, really? <laughs> What's that? Yep. Um, let's first discuss the other things. <laughs> so, personally, one of my favorite announcements this month is ECS Exec, which allows you basically to do the same as Session Manager, but on your container for ECS. And this is then both those running on E2 and Fargate containers. I actually talked about this a bit more in my other podcast. I will plug again. Why not? It's called Alien Without Sleep. <laughs> Go listen to it. The audio quality is not all great, but I'm 
unfortunately. That is hard to fix. You need to, you need to, get, you need to get yourself an expensive lapel mic, that's all. Yeah, because I'm sure that will also just stay there when you've got a tiny human crawling over it. The chest. Well, just well, maybe you need a you need to invent a special kind of harness that you can harness a good mic onto the baby. So, you know, just like a. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll I'll, let, I'll I'll leave that idea with you to develop further. <laughs> cool. Moving back to what we were talking <laughs> okay. about. Um, so, Isis XX is similar to things like Docker XX or Kubectl XX. Just a command to go into your container. Um, at this stage, uh, unlike the other ones, the only option you have is actually getting a shell in the container. You can't use it. You just run a single command and have it exit automatically. So you just do it like that. Um, it works really cool just by um, the ECS or Fargate agent injecting or bind mounting an SSM agent and then you connect through that. Mm-hmm. which is a really nice solution because it means you don't have to bake any of that into your containers. How did you how did you cope before? Um, if you needed this, and I only had the one use case where I would ever access my containers because it's not something I would recommend. Sure. Doing, yeah. Um, that was have an SSH agent running on it. Yeah. Um, and that use case, which is not, but it was basically if I needed a temporary. Bastion host because you can spin up a Fargate container, connect into it, and can access things within the VPC. And now, obviously, that is improved as you can do that without needing to open up anything or running it in a public subnet. So I think it's cool. Very cool. Fermi, can you escape the containers? I mean, with Fargate, you will run into a kind of a shared environment, and when you're in your, con- in your container in the shell, could you escape from it? And look at all the stuff. I'm not the container savvy enough to do that, but um, just an idea. That is no different than whenever anybody else gets access to it. Um, you shouldn't be able to. Okay. Uh, it's possible, from my understanding, though, if you do it, what you, where you will end up is basically just, especially with Fargate at least, you would end up in a... A single VM, right? Still fire cracker in the back, background. Yeah, so it's, exactly. a, it's a VM dedicated to your Docker. Yeah. 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 I'm sure AWS thought about that. Yeah. They do. They generally do. Doesn't mean we shouldn't think about it too, but yes. <laughs> yep. So yeah, I like that. Um, it's good to have in case you need. You can talk about Copilot. Oh, uh, yeah. The Copilot. Yes. Of course. Yeah. That's your stuff, Arjun. You love Copilot? Yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> is, 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 is Copilot um, ECS for dummies, though? So you wouldn't need it. No, it's just uh, it's a um, better CLI tool, yeah. from my understanding. Right. Um, but basically, yeah, new version uh, supports ECS XX and some other recently announced mm-hmm. features. So nothing exciting about it. No, okay. On the EKS side, um, Control plane creation time going down by 40%. Good improvement. Mm-hmm. It still takes long, but at least it doesn't take... 40, 40% as long? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, AWS <laughs> claimed it takes around nine minutes or less now on average uh, to create a cluster. It's not too bad. I mean, you have three nodes to create. You have all the stuff in your VPCs. and um, So 
Do we need to create IKEAs plus every day? We want them straight away. Like well, we want one. We want one now. We don't want to wait nine minutes. They need to be pre pre warmed. That's right. Yeah, just in case. <laughs> like That's right. Just yeah. in case. Moving on then. Um, we have Amazon IKEAs now support creation and management of add-on using AWS CloudFormation. Um, so add-on ad creation time was added in December 2020. Uh, now. CloudFormation supported, so you can install automatically add-on into your EKS cluster, like the VPC CNI plugin and all the type of plugin. Uh, you need Kubernetes 118 uh, for that, and uh, more add-on coming soon. Yep. Um, other things of interest with EKS, it gets better for machine learning with support for P4D instances, which are uh, aimed at machine learning. Well, as the Elastic Fabric Adapter, which obviously is some special piece of silicon for machine learning. Yeah. So P4D instances with a lot of GPUs dedicated for that, you can have them now in your cluster and uh, use them to do a lot of good machine learning and orchestrate everything with your step function. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the EFS DSI driver, dynamic provisioning. This is nice as it takes away a couple of steps for adding EFS to your parts, so always a good thing. Yeah, in the past you had to pre-provision EFS, right? Having the the RN names and then attach them to the pod, now you can do them to the plugin automatically when the pods are well understood, yeah? Yeah, you, in most cases you'll still want EFS to have been created uh, beforehand, but you don't need to think it was, you could skip at least the PV creation um, and just need a PVC. Oh, you don't have to pre-provision volumes, no. Yeah, but just because you can usually you you're not going to suddenly have a new EFS for the data. Yeah. But yeah. No, that's cool. Other things, cloud map supporting API only services and interfaces with uh DNS solution. That's nice, but it's not a super thing. So let's move on to guys beloved Rosa. The love for Rosa, Red Hat OpenShift service on AWS. Yeah. Tell us about it. I, I can't tell you anything about it. I haven't tried it. I, I, all, all, all I can tell you about is that I, I did um, have reason some time ago to set up OpenShift on AWS using the what was the currently, at that time, the, um, the best practice stack uh, for that. And it was hideous and it took ages to set up. It was incredibly expensive to run and the stack creation failed a number of times in the process. Um, so running Red, uh, running OpenShift on AWS was, was a nightmare and expensive. So, uh, you know, I know that they're, they've been working on, um, you know, trying to, I guess, make this into a, a nice product for easy consumption for the OpenShift customers out there who want to move to, to cloud. And want to have all the headaches of managing all the infrastructure handed over to someone else. And so I guess this probably does, this is probably a very nice announcement for someone who's currently running OpenShift on-prem or managing their own OpenShift cluster in, in AWS and having to deal with all the complexities and yeah, headaches of that. So it's a joint venture between Red Hat and AWS. So you're billed by AWS, but um, you need obviously to have also your Red Hat account and, and all the rest of it, but AWS will bill it and then split the money with Red Hat. So you only have a single throat to choke when it comes to billing, which again is probably kind of nice 
um, you know, because convenience. So basically, so I don't have to learn communities. They can stay in the OpenShift world and, and uh, keep going and, and deploying. Things. Yeah. So it is available in Sydney, which is mm-hmm. pretty mm-hmm. cool. Uh, it's three cents per cluster per hour. So that's around $270 US a year for running um, the, the management nodes. And then um, you are charged per node. And I believe that must be a Red Hat node. So they must have some licensing as mm, well. Yeah. And uh, it's around uh, $1,000 per year if you commit for a one-year reserve instance or uh, 17 cents for uh, for vCPU per hour. So, yeah. I mean, if you don't want to load communities, too complicated, you're happy with OpenShift, why not using it? Yep, yep. And look, uh, you know, my experience with Red Hat was that it was very developer-focused. And if you were a developer who'd kind of gotten gotten um, the hang of Kubernetes via OpenShift, you'd probably be, qu- be quite happy with, with how it works. Um, there's a lot of tools for deploying and integrating with other services. And I imagine... They had some, some integration with AWS services in the stack that I created. So they had, they were already working on this, this stuff. So making it easy to basically hook up your, um, Kubernetes, um, workloads to RDS and, you know, other services inside AWS. Um, I imagine they've, they've done more with that sort of integration to facilitate that, make it easier for you to do that. But yeah, look, it's, I think if, if, if you're, if, if this is how you've gotten, gotten used to, um, you know, deploying your applications and, and, um, you, it really does hide a lot of the complexity of, of, of Kubernetes as well. You, you really just deal with it as a, at, you know, at an abstracted level. And authentication as well. I think Red Hat had some kind of proprietary authentication system that I remember Nefesai was using and it was very hard to replace that service. Yeah. So it is, it is a very complex <laughs> model. Um, they've got a lot of RBAC complexity and, and granularity, I think, in, in, the, in that environment. So it's probably, if you've gr- become dependent on, on that, yes, it's probably another reason to stay there. Look, the pricing you've just mentioned sounds very reasonable though. Cause we were. Yeah. It, it is cheaper than it is. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the, the minimum spend, I think on the, 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 the stack that I brought up was, it was like $800 a month or something like that. It was quite expensive. So, and that was like just the base. This is kind of the minimum, minimum spend to have this running in AWS. It's about that much. So they've obviously done a lot of work to optimize it. The licensing, yeah. So telco, FSI, insurance companies, TLV, Red Hat are focused. So yeah, makes sense. Okay. Cool. That's enough about Red Hat. Let's talk about something more fun. EC2 and VPC? Yeah. Yeah. Um, EC2 serial console. Yet another way to connect to your instance. Yeah. Have, have you tried it? I haven't. No, I read the blog. I read the blog. Uh, the guy is messing around with basically the network card and disable it. So basically the machine boots, no IP, and he need to troubleshoot it. So use that command. Uh, through the console and uh, connect to it and fix it. Pretty cool. Um, and you can use the CLI as well. It seems kind of prehistoric. Like, why would you do this? Why would you do these things when, you know, someone is going to abstract all that nonsense away for you that you don't ever have to think about network cards? You never had to change a kernel version on, on, on the CTO instance? Oh, no, no, no. I have, but I'm, I, you know, my days of doing Linux sysadmin are way behind me. I, I, that's the whole point of going to a service like AWS. 
Why would you go back now and say, oh, what I really want is a serial console? No, you don't. You just want to make shit happen, don't you? Like, what is it? What is the scenario where you would want to do this or, or you would have a use case? Changing the current version. Uh, don't all speak at once. Sorry. <laughs> Are you? When you import a VMware image uh, and it doesn't start, then you can debug it. Yeah. You have a lot of problems. Oh, okay, yeah. good. Well, there you go. Uh, and and the, the case I was mentioning as well, changing the kernel version, some kernel doesn't work on AWS, so they work on-prem, so you need to trick it, import the machine, uh, have the AMI attached to something else, and uh, so now you can do it to the console, uh, ch- uh, upload a new kernel, change the version, and change it back, and do, do some manipulation there uh, for import and migration. So, kind of useful. I get your point, in the world of serverless, who want to talk about BIOS and all that crap, but yeah. Yeah, it's not something most people would ever use, which is why I think even just getting access to it is a bit of a headache. And the other big item with it is that you do need a password set on the root account on the instance. So that basically rules out any standard EC2 instances that you have spun up in the past, which are always without a password. Right, okay. I didn't know that. I thought you could use a magic sysrq to be able to connect to the machine without without logging and just producing your key pair. I thought the key pair was enough. You can't use a key pair because a key pair only works over SSH. Also in Blockbox, the only requirement is that the root account has been assigned a password. All right, okay. No good then. Because that's the one that you will use to log in. So only people using Windows. <laughs> so that that's available on Linux distribution, PSB, Windows, and VMware as well. And it is in Sydney. It is in Sydney, and obviously only for um, Nitro instances. Yeah. So the I would almost call them the newer instance types now, but Nitro has been out so long um, that everybody should probably be running on them. But then, speaking of new instances, our friend the X instance type have finally received an update, and we now have the X2GD instances. Yes, very big. Um, Massive, massive CPU on. No, not massive CPU. There's mass, massive memory on. There's memory. Oh, well, there's 64, up to 64 cores. That's not bad. And one terabyte of memory and two terabyte of SSD. So that's, that's a pretty nice machine if you want to run it. And you can have bare metal. I have looked into a bit more. And if you compare it to the R6 GD, it has double the memory and everything else is the same. Hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's actually something I'm looking into, but all the Grafton 2 they have the same uh, processors. Yeah. And uh, in price, I've got, I've got the price there for the metal is $5.34 per hour. And the cheapest one is the uh, X2 GD medium with one CPU, 16 gig memory, and 60 gig of SSD for $0.08 cents per hour. So that's, that's pretty cheap. Yeah. And that is the other very big difference, of course, with the previous generation of X-type instances, which only came in 16 and 32x large. Yeah. I think they, that is still bigger, uh, than this one. This one only goes to 16x large. Yeah. Yeah. But not available in Sydney yet, only in US East and US West and Ireland. Yeah. Also, fun thing I ran into when I wanted to try it out. I really want to see if CPUs and such were all the same. Because it's an X instance type, that means by default, 
your quotas are set to zero, so you will need to request an increased mm. quota. Right. And um, yeah, the quota increased quest goes by the number of vCPUs you can have. It was also not instant. I needed to review me half an hour before I was allowed to get the two vCPUs that I requested. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, I can understand why that is set on the X instances because the old ones definitely they would immediately cost a lot of money. But for this one, it seems a bit annoying as really the only difference between this and uh, R6GD is double the memory. Yeah. But, yeah, more choices, always good. Yeah. Especially if one day they will show up, it's it. Hmm. I'm sure they will. A um, couple announcements for autoscaling. Last month, we mentioned that application autoscaling uh, added support for local time zones, and now regular autoscaling also has this. Yeah, that's good. That's good addition. Yeah, good for all the same reasons we discussed yeah. last time. And you don't have to adjust for the light saving as well. It's all automated. So that, that's not. Yep. Although that's not a problem for another six months. So. <laughs> okay, good point. Um, instance refresh for phase deployments. Basically, that sounds like um, if you use instance refresh, which is basically a way to... Replace the instances in your auto-scaling group with new ones. Yep, without... Yeah. Yeah. So now you can configure instance refresh checkpoints to phase the deployment of them. So I guess that allows you to um, to do a, a sanity check to make sure that the new instances haven't created some catastrophic um, disaster. Yeah. So it's basically just to help you to use instance refresh without um, panicking that um, it's all everything. If everything's going to go horribly wrong, you can essentially do a like a you know a canary deployment. I guess if you wanted to. Use an analogy. Yeah, definitely. Can I deployment and with some checkpoints to make sure that uh, you can break everything in one go? So that that's uh, automating canary deployment. So it's uh, very helpful. Yeah. And the other one that I'm here is VPC flow log. It's now giving more information again. More metadata attached to your flow log. Yeah, just like with every other time that they done this, you have to explicitly define this when you set up your flow log, and I don't think you can even change an existing one. You need to destroy that one and create a new one. That's correct. You need to leave the initial flow log if you need it for compliance or whatever, but you will need to destroy the flow log and create a new one. And it will capture uh, flow direction now, traffic path, uh, service AWS out and service AWS in destination. And, and source and couple of tags. Uh, it's Amazon Cloud9 API Gateway CloudFront Configure DynamoDB2. I mean, there's a couple of tags there to be able to recognize the traffic like service, like S3, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that's a nice addition to Flowlog, make them a bit more readable. Yeah, and so they're saying that the the one of the benefits of this is the redu- reduced cost and operational overhead because you're not having to uh, figure out. I guess some of these da- um, some of these bits of data metadata. Yeah, of course, yeah. So yeah. rather than having to figure that out yourself, it's you can just ask for it to be there. Less work for you, more work for them, more work for the <laughs> little robots inside AWS. Thank you, AWS robots. <laughs> more storage for your CloudWatch logs or your S3 if you saw your frog in there with more data. But that feature is no additional cost, so that that's always yep neat. 
Shall we look at the DevOps side? I yep. think so. Not much in there, but um, code pipeline now support a thousand pipeline per account. Wow, that's a lot Ooh. of pipelines. You got that many pipelines? It, I'm impressed. Yeah. Well, it used to be 300, and now you move to a thousand. Mm. I don't know who asked for this kind of limit, but um, could be someone. Not us. <laughs> uh, worse than that, it's actually still just a default limit. Right. So you can request an increase beyond that. Oh wow. So if you've got a thousand pipelines, you're probably to do a neat segue. You're probably uh, someone who should be looking at Proton. Is that right? Yeah, but that that not supposed to just without pipelines. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> So who wants to give us a, a quick overview of Proton? Um, I'll be honest. I looked at it a bit when it, it was first announced. Yeah. Yeah. But I need to go back and find out exactly what problem it's all because um, that is still not entirely clear. Yeah. Uh, so I, I looked at it when it first was announced and then I was discouraged by a, 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 um, a tweet. <laughs> from someone who basically said, this is a terrible product with a terrible UI. It's a terrible user experience. And I I, I was just completely um, uh, influenced by that and just went, yeah, it is terrible. Okay, I'm not going to use it. <laughs> so there's the power of social media in action, right? But couple of improvement, maybe AWS will improve the product in the future. Um, so you can use Proton app without pipeline. So in the past, you had to have Git repository attached to it and a pipeline. Now you can basically do it to the console and still use Proton as a central management capabilities uh, for your artifact. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you can protect a couple of uh, templates now with a deletion protection, and you can use Jinja parameterization to help using Proton. Jinja, uh, I thought that was start disappearing, but seems to point his nose back every time there is a new uh, way of uh, parameterizing templates. Yeah. Um, the systems manager sides, small update to upcenter and change manager. Um, nothing super exciting. Change manager is probably if you have a very structured hierarchy at your work, you now have multi-level approvals. Yeah. So you can reflect, um, that. <laughs> yeah. You can have some technical approval and then financial approval. So you can have several stages instead of having one final only approval. Uh, and that use um, a single sign-on for verifying who approved the, the change. So I mean, it's a change management product. I'm sure all the kind of commercial SaaS products are not too happy that AWS is launching themselves into that world. Yeah, well, you're working with that AWS, you've got to expect that. Amazon will, Amazon will eat your lunch, guaranteed. Uh, the cool one, though, is um, AWS SSO credential profile in AWS Toolkit mm-hmm. for VS Code. Really happy with that one. Yeah, you're happy? Yeah. Um, I checked and you just do SSO AWS configured and then um, you open a plugin window, you log in and that's it. You're in. You can do everything you need. Except it doesn't seem to work for CDK, which I discovered today because I was, I, I started a, I was, um, yeah, I, I hadn't been doing this project. I pulled it down and, and thought, oh, I'll just, um, I'll just deploy it. And I'd been deploying SAM stuff all morning. Um, and no problem at all. It's integrating with the SSO, um, profile. And, um, yeah, um, CDK deploy, no invalid token. It's like, what? So I'm logged in. It's fine. It's working. Stop being stupid. But yeah, no, it's, it, I had to actually put the credentials into, um, my profile 
just for CDK to to to, to like it. Is CDK that integrated with PS Cloud then? No, I don't. I don't see it in the in the list of uh, the the uh, toolkit. So that's why. There you go. I didn't think it was created within yeah. PS Cloud. Did you just run it from the yeah, terminal? Yeah, yeah, just run it from the terminal. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's not what this is oh. for. Okay. You would need to do your SSL login on the terminal to make it be used. Yeah. Mm. So 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 I was doing the SSL login on the terminal, and it and CDK didn't 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 pick it up. Okay, it's very possible. Um, a whole bunch of the SDKs didn't support it. Uh, I know Go only supported it four months ago, so I could finally use it. Stuff I wrote. Yeah, yeah. I suspect it's just a it's just a um a maturity, or you know, yeah, probably the next version will 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 be will work fine, but um. Yeah, it's just not. It's not working now. Yeah, I think it depends on what language the CDK is written in. Could be too. And whether or not that SDK supports it. Yep. Could be. Anyway, other things here: EventBridge supporting extra trace contact. You already mentioned this earlier, JM. So that's cool. EventBridge um, can trace things even further. Yeah, proving that, you know, that's, that service is stable and they're going to be able to trace the, the events through that bridge, um, for SQS, SNS, API, Gateway, Lambda, and Step Function. So, um, that, that's good integration now. You, you, uh, in your X-ray to trace, uh, latency and stuff like that in your application. Yep. Um, Kotlin supports and for Android. So Android developer can now use Kotlin if you use Amplify. That's good. Obviously, the big announcement. Here would be Coretto's team, um, which does some new stuff. <laughs> yeah, GTK 16 <laughs> available on Linux, Windows, and macOS. That's it. That's what we need. Yep. And um, some opinionated deployment tool for .NET CLI. It's funny how they mention opinionated. Um, that's Usually, I mean, AWS is always opinionated about, about something, about the way they do things, right? About their product. And that, in the announcement, that they mention it. So that's interesting. Yeah, I get a feeling then that this probably you really don't have many options at all. <laughs> no valuable. I think it even decides what it should be deployed onto. Right, okay. Yeah, it does. Provides recommendations about the type of compute best suited for this .NET application. Uh, generates the right IAM roles, generates deployment infrastructure, deploys the application using CDK, displays the endpoint. So it's basically, I think, a um, AWS for dummies if you're a .NET developer. All right. And you need .NET Core 2.1. Well, .NET Core 2.1 is old now, isn't it? So I think it is. I could be wrong, but I think... We're on three, I think. Yeah, I think three plus, yeah. So yeah, so it's it's fine. It's end of life. Um, so obviously they're making it. They're trying to make it easy for .NET developers to get their stuff on AWS. Let's move on to security. Yes, let's stop talking about .NET. I might um, have flashbacks of dark times in my past. So AWS Security Hub had twenty five new controls uh, for the Foundation Security Best Practice Standard. So now that that's a total of hundred security controls that automatically check security posture of your AWS account. That's neat. Uh, that, that, that's good. I mean, there is good stuff there. I had a look. Um, and you can enable CIS as well, and you can enable PCI DSS, which is more expensive, but, you know, for a couple of dollars a month, you can check your AWS account and uh, be sure that you follow the best practice. And that 
And it does that for you. And it can now also in, ingest sensitive data findings from Amazon Macy. Yep. So that's the other um, Security Hub announcement for the month. So yeah, you import them in the uh, format AWS provide, the AWS Security Finding Format, ASFF, and uh, you can sell that into Security Hub on S3, integrate uh, as well with Guard Duty. So Security Hub really is that, that central place now for, for everything. Now, now you, sh- you usually get excited about config, don't you, JM? There's some new config, config things. Oh, uh, this one? <laughs> well, our compliance and audit, you know, I work with many FSI, so it makes sense uh, when there's some good rules are going to help the developers uh, doing the right thing. So this new config are about uh, Amazon Secret Manager to ensure that you're going to have a CMK, so customer managed keys of KMS for your secret. You, you're going to monitor your secret who are unused and if you're going to rotate these secrets uh, with a periodic rotation. So you can define these rules at the org level and push them down to all your accounts and monitor them and then uh, go and see your developers. Hey, you didn't rotate your secret for the last six months. That's not right. Neat. So always good. Compliance and cloud is hard when you have unknown accounts, right? So uh, any tools who can help. What else have we got? WAF? Yes, I like this one. I'm excited about that one. Uh, I didn't like the uh, status code for three forbidden access when, when the WAF was rejecting you in the past. That was not very uh, customer friendly. Uh, so now you can customize your uh, response uh, for four threes. Uh, you can redirect them to something else. Hey, you don't have access to this because you are not in the right countries or whatever. Uh, you can have for all the $400 or personalize them with your logos and stuff like that. So that's that's good. And no extra cost. Yeah, that is neat. Yep. Uh, request header injection. As well. Uh, that was possible on CloudFront before. Uh, and now you can inject headers as well from the WAF. Um, so you can, for them, Paul, inject a secret 25 characters long information to make sure that uh, your application is going to respond only to that header and make sure that the traffic pass through the, the WAF first and we'll reject anything else. So um, we were doing that with platform to make sure that people couldn't bypass platform uh, with uh, an ILB or, or an application that now you can do that at the WAF level as well. Hmm. Um, yeah, all sorts of headers and redirect and do all sorts of reporting and analytics. Again, no additional cost. Nice. And then logging of data events for DynamoDB. That's pretty cool. So this is similar to the S3 logging of data event. Basically, you have to enable it uh, specifically for a table and then any data-related events show up in CloudTrail instead of only the API calls that you usually get. No, that's good. And I was thinking, why not enabling that when you use Terraform? Why we use DynamoDB for logging and S3? You could enable that logging and know who did what modification at what stage of Terraform looking files, something like that. I don't know. There is, I'm sure there is some very interesting cases probably uh, with sensitive information as well. So in DynamoDB now with financial sector, but um, I thought like, oh, that could be a good thing with Terraform. Yeah. And, and like with S3, you can determine whether you want to, you can set it to either read events or read or write events or both, depending on what you're interested in. I guess a lot of, in a lot of cases, uh, you'd only be looking at write events. Um, because read events are obviously typically more plentiful than write events, and the write events are the ones you're most likely to be 
uh, concerned about or interested in. And you can create a CloudTrail log just for that purpose as well. So you can leave your regulated CloudTrail uh, API uh, captured for um, long-term storage um, and uh, auditing and then having a specific one for your dynamic. Yep. Yep, so it's neat. Yep. Also neat, I think, is certificates manager uh, that you can now use certificate expiry monitoring through CloudWatch. This obviously is not as much joke when you have self-renewing certificates, but if you have uploaded your fancy expensive certificates or any that you have got other way, it could be very annoying to discover when they would expire. And now you can easily monitor it and make sure that the notifications end up in the right place. Yep. So your IT team can ignore them um, coming from CloudWatch <laughs> as well. Yeah. Uh, you can uh, as well. Event Bridge will send an expiry event 45 days before the expiry. So um, you can uh, hook up your Event Bridge on this one as well in other monitoring tool in your Slack or something to be able to make sure you don't miss that. So I'm guessing that once it's 45 days away, it'll start giving you events on a regular basis rather than just give you one event 45 days away and then shut up. <laughs> and never tell you again. I suspect. I suspect. I suspect it's yeah. It'll be at least daily. It'll give you another another event. Yes, nifty. Oh, this one. Next one. I just did this. Replicating secrets. Oh yeah, me too. I like <laughs> yeah, it. So secrets manager now lets you replicate um, secrets from one region to another. So you can basically create a secret in um, US East One, let's say, and and have them replicate to. Um, Sydney, and it's a simple uh, matter. You can, uh, it's not supported in CDK yet, so you have to use, um, uh, level one constructs to, 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 to patch it, basically, to do the escape hatch thing, um, to, to get the support for it. But essentially, you just tell it what replica region you want your secrets to be re- replicated to, and away it goes. And you can use a CM- CMK as well to, to, um, encrypt them. So you need a CMK in each region. You don't. So you must decrypt. The- you, you don't, don't have to. No, it's actually optional. All oh, right, yeah. okay. So you don't you don't have to have CMK. Well, if you use CMK, you need the CMK in each region. And uh, how do you how do you do the replication? Because you need to decrypt on one side and re-encrypt on the other side. Yeah, so you're so you're asking me a question I don't know the answer to because I didn't I, I, I didn't try to do that. <laughs> right, okay. So <laughs> that's an advanced topic. Yeah, no. Um, but yeah, it certainly, it certainly, it certainly is a is a good capability and um and useful. And I think a lot of people will find that useful. So many uh good good tools are put on my list to use as soon as uh, we have our Melbourne region coming up. That's going to be you know Aurora, uh, uh this type of uh, secret management, uh, the backup replication. All these tools going to be so good to be able to use in Australia. Yeah. And I think you know the pattern here is is you know AWS obviously they they find a case where you know people are running Lambda functions to do this kind of thing you, you know they're doing their own they're rolling their own solution and you know bless them they 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 step in and provide a feature that just does it so you can put all that stuff away and just use the feature. Um, a new feature uh, with Access Analyzer update. Um, and I am policy validation. That's, um, that was missing and I, I use it today and that was good. It, it can, 
pick up errors in your in your policies in your IAM policies. He has more than hundred checks, so give you some recommendation as well and correct any JSON error because I am still in JSON, no YAML yet on this one. Uh, so if you forget a comma or a divider or whatever, then he will tell you. And uh, yeah, but he does it one at a time. So is your first line as an error? You could stuck there. Don't tell you about the other errors. Right. You you will need to uh, correct one by one. But that's pretty instant. Uh, so that's that's good. I like it. Yeah, nifty. Yeah, it's cool. Shall we talk a bit about data process? Yeah. Glacier price reduction. That's that's always good, isn't it? Adverse are always good about yeah. their price reductions. What are we looking at here? Oh, but that, that's a catch. Oh. The same price. It's just the put who are cheaper. Ah. Storage is still the same price. It's, it's $5 a terabyte for uh, the standard storage and deep archive is $2 a terabyte. Okay. Um, so it's cheaper to do put. Okay. So, yeah. So lowering the charge for put and, li- and lifecycle requests to S3 Glacier by 40% for all regions. But the storage cost is still the same. Oh, well. No, that, I, I take it. I mean, I take it. It's not the most expensive around there. So there is not that much. I guess if you're putting lots and lots of items in there or you're transitioning a lot of items, I guess maybe, maybe it, it might make a difference. So, yeah. yeah. CloudFormation now supports Amazon S3 on outposts. If you've got an outpost, you'll be happy. Yeah. Who's got an outpost? Nobody, nobody I know. We still haven't heard from any listener. They let us play with it. No, I, I can understand why they wouldn't let us play with it. That would be that would be crazy talk. <laughs> um, but it's I do think it's interesting that they uh, created a different cloud formation type for these S3 buckets on outposts. Ah, did they? Yeah, it was S3 outposts or something like that. Presumably because it's not real S3, so it's got some other limitations or, yeah, right. S3 outposts, yep. So it's got support for bucket, bucket policy, endpoint, and access point. So I wonder, well, I don't know why. Yeah, it's in many ways similar, but it just gets treated differently. So it has an outpost ID as one of its properties. Um, so perhaps it needs that in order to know where it's, it's, um, where it lives, which I guess would make sense given S3 doesn't really have that concept. Yeah. So yeah, you've got to actually tell it which, um, which outpost it's on. There you go. We all learned something today. Sort of. Maybe. Um, Amazon Aurora, 35% price, better price performance with Graviton 2. Yep. So this is uh, the thing we've talked about many times. Mm. Services switching to Graviton 2. Yep. And we knew this one was coming when they RDS Graviton 2. They said, we'll do the same with Aurora. And that has finally arrived. Yep. And just like then, I can't think of any reason why people would not use it. That's right. So 20% performance improvement up to 35% price performance improvement, depending on database size. So the, the basic R5 large is $0.35, cents, uh, and the R6G large is 31 So, you know, that's 10%. So that's, that's not yep. bad. And I'm imagining that you can have a mix of it, um, <laughs> which is interesting well, why you would do that. but. Um, you can have a mix of maybe when you migrate from one to the other, uh, and uh, with one can be a replica and, and the other one primary instance. So that's uh, yeah, why not why not migrating to Graviton and be more green and have better performance as the product? Absolutely. 
So we've got a whole bunch of database announcements. Any of these that either of you particularly feels like you want to talk about? Uh, the AWS backup, continuous backup point in time recovery for RDS instance. That's cool, I think. Um, in the past, it was inside RDS it- itself. Now, uh, it's inside AWS backup. Uh, you can do continuous RDS backup and you can do restore as well point in time recovery from there. So that's, uh, that's a good addition for AWS backup. RDS for Postgres supports managed disaster recovery with cross-region automated backups. That's, that's, that's yeah. kind of neat. If you're yeah. a Postgres user, which you should be. But it's not yet in Sydney uh, for the target region, so only the US. Other. Boom. It's coming, it's coming, don't worry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> other rollback, uh, RDS MySQL rollback. So when you migrate your RDS MySQL to from MySQL 5.7 to 8, for example, and if that fails for whatever reason, instead of leaving you, well, too bad, go back to backup, um, it can roll back for you um, and go back to a 5.7 uh, running state for your database to probably be reassessed and then try again uh, in a later time. So, um, you know, when you do migration of database, it's always a stressful time. Now AWS is for you. And if it doesn't work, it come back to 5.7. Um, there's a couple of RDS proxy announcements. One of them, probably the kind of interesting one, is the multiple Amazon VPC support now. Yeah, I was so excited when I saw that. But the VPC need to be in the same account. So, pow, pow, for me, that was, I had my VPC into a different account in the shared. That's, that subnet was shared to an application user. And because the VPC in, in, is in a different account, you can't. You can only the two VPC at the same AWS account at the moment. But maybe it's coming. But it's still, it's still good progress. You can still have your proxy close to your uh, application layer and having another VPC with your RDS instances uh, through Transit Getaway or some other things like that. So that's a good addition to the product. Yep. It's a couple of Redshift announcements, cross database queries and data sharing. So if you're a Redshift user, check it out. We're not going to talk about it now, I don't think. Cause I don't think anyway. No, it's very specific to Redshift, I guess. And it's available in Sydney. Yep. EFS, single zone. Yeah. So if you feel like rolling the dice or you just, <laughs> you just don't, uh, you're doubted. Don't care about your data. Doesn't, you don't care about your data. That's right. Yeah. I've got backups. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. So. Now I heard, um, someone saying that if you use AWS Lambda for example and EFS with Lambda because your data is transient anyway, you don't care. Mm-hmm. So you can use EFS one zone. Which is much cheaper, 16 cents per gigabyte per month to be able to do all your data manipulation and then dump the EFS and dump the lambda yeah. and then you're done and you store that back to S3 or some other thing. So, and also if you're using this one zone, you can still use AWS backup to get multi, 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 um, AZ, um, backup anyway. So, yeah, yeah. So it makes sense. I mean, if it's another product, another option you have. Uh, it's not in Sydney yet, I think. Uh, it's only in the US East. No, it is in Sydney. It is. Yeah, it's in Sydney. Yeah. It is? Okay. Marker. But yeah, it's much cheaper. One zone. I wonder what happened. I mean, if it is one zone, you will need to cross AZ. So you will have to pay that cost if the traffic is coming, uh, in, in between instead of using, because EFS has string endpoint, one in each AZ usually, and then you use the endpoint in your AZ. So you don't cross AZs. But now having one AZ only, you will need to cross uh, the AZ if your EC2 instance is into a different one. 
Uh, so you will add a, a little cost there to access data, one cents per gig. But, um, yeah, uh, what I saw the announcement said, what for? But in fact, you know, there's some use case. Yeah. So there's a couple of lesser search announcements. Um, auto tune feature from improved performance and application availability and it publishes events to CloudWatch and EventBridge. Um, so if you're using Elasticsearch, there's a couple of uh, updates there. An auto tune service to help you basically tuning your Java virtual machine. It's always a pain, uh, to clean up garbage collection and stuff like that. And, um, it will help you managing the cache. So couple of help to run your list search in there. Anything else here that we want to talk about? Oh, yes. AWS backup add support for bulk deletion of Rocker Void Point. I couldn't believe that you had to click one by one and delete <laughs> them manually. Uh, now you can delete them in bulk. That's awesome. Uh, with all this new backup you just did from your RDS. So um, you can do that to the console now. Delete a lot of uh, Rocker Void Point at one time. AI and ML. It's actually a couple of fun names in new things here. Yeah. I'll actually start with one that I think came out on the 31st, but Autopilot at Model Explainability. That just sounds like an awesome name to me. <laughs> it does exactly what it, what the name says. It helps you explain how your model works. Which is probably, yeah, you, you need that. Yeah. So it probably shows you a bit more under the hood for, okay, this is how decisions are made. And that's pretty cool. That is neat, yep. And the other thing is hugging face integration with SageMaker. That's cool. It's for natural language processing models. And I wasn't familiar with hugging face. Um, it sounds like a fun tool service. Um, you know, let's not make any um, allusions to certain movies where you can't be heard dreaming in space. <laughs> <laughs> I think guy, uh, you might um, like the IoT device defender ML detect. Yeah, so that that was announced, I think maybe last month. Um, so so this is just a GA release. Yeah, yeah. So this is their ML uh, machine learning sort of based um, anomaly detection for our IoT devices. So. Uh, can monitor device behaviors based on 13 cloud side device side metrics, including authorization failures, messages sent, listening TCP port counts. So it'll basically give you a, a, a bit of an idea of when it's getting unexpected uh, behavior from your IoT device and give you the opportunity to do something about it. Cool. And so I know how much you love the Lookout products. <laughs> Lookout for metrics. Also GA, right? So, um, so this is the, um, oh, okay. <sighs> I'm, 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 there's so many different, this is where AWS d- does, you know, like their names get <laughs> terrible, right? AWS Lookout, Amazon Lookout, and then Amazon Lookout for metrics. Um, so Amazon Lookout is neat. That's their, um, sort of visual inspection, um, uh, product, right? So, no, that's a, that's lookout for fish. Oh, yeah. So this is this is this is this is my complaint. <laughs> You're going to release new products all the time. At least give them a name that helps us understand, helps us know what we're talking about. So look out for metrics. So this is the anomaly detection for metrics, as opposed to anomaly yeah. detection for visuals based on like a camera watching a 
a, a production line. Right. Yes. So they they should have called it something different. Don't call it Lookout for Metrics. Look out! Uh, the guy who found the lookout name was so proud of it. He said, "I'm going to use it again." Yeah. Uh, lookout for metrics. So uh, automatically connect with 19 data sources, uh, S3, CloudWatch, Redshift, RDS, and everything, and then monitor basically your metrics and uh, and alert you when there is some anomalies in there, and use ML to kind of lower the false alarm uh, and hit and miss. So um, interesting product, but yeah, wrong name, too confusing. Too many. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Do better. And again, it's like it's Amazon. It's not AWS. So, so I know the you know people who are immersed in the AWS Amazon world will know that Amazon has a, a a logic when they use the word Amazon in their product name as opposed to when they use the AWS part. So this is supposed to be something which doesn't like you can use outside the context of AWS. Essentially, I think that's the that's the logic, right? Yeah, yes, right, yeah. yeah. So, why? What it's it's integrated with S three CloudWatch, Redshift, RDS. Ah, but you can also use it with Salesforce, Marketo, and Amplitude. Yeah, Salesforce and Marketo. That that's why it's not an AWS product only. You can monitor as well all the part of your uh, of your application yeah, with that uh, yeah. uh, for SaaS application API. I, I, I reckon every time they call something Amazon rather than AWS, they should be fir- the first thing they should do in the explanation, <laughs> the announcement is say why it's an Amazon product, not an AWS product, and just give us a hand, guys. Like give us, give us, throw us a bone, throw us a freaking bone here. Arjun, we want to move to other cool stuff. Yes, let's move to other cool stuff. Yes, yes, I've finished ranting now. So. Osaka is a real boy. Um, so real region yeah. now. Yeah. So three AZ more services. Uh, yeah, that's good. Good for people in Osaka. There would there would have been services they didn't have presumably because they only had two AZs. Yeah, all the Aurora services and stuff like that couldn't couldn't be there. Yeah. I thought they even just had one AZ. Right. <clears throat> yeah. But yeah, um, I think the type of thing it was has now been replaced with local zones and then I guess decided well let's just upgrade that one and make everybody in Japan happy with a second region instead of just a um, disaster fallback yeah 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 good hooray for Osaka Amazon Connect so some up three up three three announcements um, customer profiles that support data sources from Amazon S3 15 minute intervals for historic metric reporting out of Amazon Connect and now provides an out-of-the-box chat user interface for your website. Be afraid. Be very afraid. <coughs> um, that, I, I thought they had a out-of-the-box chat user interface in Connect. I was sure that I've seen such a such a beast. Um, but maybe this is a... Maybe it's just more, um, more uncoupled from the Connect service. I don't know. I assume it's not uncoupled. Because it's literally part of it, but yeah, yeah, but it may be a it may be a um a more uh, customizable widget, I guess, that you can pop in with your own branding. Yes, so it looks like so to allow the customer experience to align with your corporate branding by customizing the font and color scheme in the user interface. Yeah, so I think what they had before was a bit of a um you know it, it looked like AWS um, not at their best 
in terms of um, uh, style. <clears throat> so, um, and I think you, there was a limit to how much you could do with it. But um, yeah, so obviously made some improvements on that. So if you're an Amazon Connect customer and you want to use their out-of-the-box chat user interface, now you can. Try it today. Other services and features? I like the fault injection simulator. Did you have a look? Yeah. I haven't, haven't tried it. haven't turned anything on or off. But, um, no. but yeah, it looks... Uh, it, it's, I, I like the fact that it's kind of got a um, everything's gone horribly wrong and I'm crying, please make it stop uh, mode. <laughs> <clears throat> um, so you can create an experiment. You can turn off, you can reboot EC2 instances, stop them, terminate them. Uh, you can drain container instances in ECS. You can inject API internal errors into FIS. You can, what's that, FIS? I don't know what that is. Fourth injection simulator. Yeah, okay, so yeah, so it's just in ra- randomly. Throttle your API or even uh, terminate a node group uh, instance in your EKS cluster. So that's, that's very good for testing, right? So yeah, basically yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's chaos uh, engineering. Your own, your own chaos yeah. multi, uh, managed by AWS. And like you said, you have a big red button, make it stop because I broke everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you do that in prod, that won't be recommended, but. Um, yeah. It, it's very nice uh, to have that product to really encourage customers to be more resilient and design applications who work and not just look pretty or use new tools. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. It's a good thing with Chaos Engineer. You can test for the um, problems you designed to handle that it can actually handle them. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Always a surprise. Oh, I thought that would work this way, right? Mm-hmm. And now it's, now it's right. Mm-hmm. So, no, that's, that's good. Uh, and it's available in Sydney, and yeah, I can't wait to use it. Uh, Look, I'll try and break something before the next, <laughs> next podcast. <laughs> I, I want to I hear the story of how you had to hit the button because everything was broken. No, or poorly designed. Yeah, except, except that, would, that would never happen, right? <laughs> You're a professional. We're professionals here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Ethereum on an Amazon managed blockchain. Anyone going to give that a turn? Oh, the silence is deafening. <laughs> okay. Bundle management APIs now generally available for Amazon workspaces. Yeah, that's a nano for me. I mean, maybe it's useful, but yeah. There's a lot of people. Really use that. Uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I mean, Amazon workspaces, they're certainly getting a lot of work, work, workouts. Still, I think, oh, yeah. um, through the pandemic, obviously. For people working from home, yeah. Yeah. So that might be useful if you're immersed in that world. But I think we may as well just move on to the nanos now. Yeah. So I had mine written down. I don't know if either of you picked one. No, I didn't have anything special. Um, what did I have? Uh, oh, the VPN with uh, multiple, multiple subnets. No, that's pretty cool, I think. Yeah. I'll, 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 um, I think I'll pass this, 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 this month because I think we gave them a fair bit of grief last month with it was, it was a very paltry, um, selection of new announcements. So I'm not going to mock them this, this month. And I'm, I'm saying that, which is really just me being, saying that I didn't go back and look at all the announcements and find a small one. <laughs> I think that's probably pretty obvious though, right? Yeah. Well, to be fair, we had a minor hiccup in the user group Slack where 
Yeah, we lost the story, right? That's what happened? They were archived yeah. or something? Uh, unfortunately, the announcement bot posted about 20,000 messages uh, over the weekend. Ah, right. I saw there were some errors there. Well, uh, yeah, I, I, and so that, that reached the limit of the free slack and then it kicked you out, archive everything. Yeah, because the limit is 10,000. Yeah. So um, those 20,000 messages are being deleted, but it's still taking some Yeah, time. right. Fair enough. I did have one that I'm happy to talk about briefly. Filegate updates uh, platform version 1.4.0 to be the latest version. Mm -hmm. My personal issue with this one is why doesn't latest actually mean latest for Filegate platform versions? What's the latest? It's the latest for them. Yeah. Um, Don't don't call it latest then. Call it stable or whatever. Mm -hmm. But but don't call it latest. Latest should never be an older version than the latest. It's yeah. in the name. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair, that's a fair point. So with that, we've reached the end again. I want to thank our sponsors, gold sponsor, enabler, and our silver sponsors, AC3, CMD, and Do It International. Always good that we have those on board. Yep. Of course, I also want to thank everybody for listening. But um, aside from that. I, as always, I want to thank the two of you for joining me again in this journey through the announcements from Mark. JM, thank you very much. Uh, always a pleasure to be with you guys and um, learning about new stuff every month. That's pretty cool. And Guy, thank you as well. Well, thank you. A pleasure as always. And then, well, we'll be back next month. Whether you like it or not. See you then.